Amen. Good morning, Reformation. Did you know that today marks one year that I have been here serving as your pastor? Yes! That's right. One year ago, on the first Sunday in January, I led worship here at 1215 East Vernon Road. And what a year it's been, right? What a year it's been. I have learned a lot in the past 52 weeks, as I'm sure we all have. And I've also relearned a lot of things as well in the last year. Stuff that I had forgotten, but that Reformation has helped me to remember. And in particular, I think one of my great relearnings in the last 365 days is the ways that closely studying the scriptures can just be so valuable. There is so much in the Bible to examine and digest, and I think in some ways I had forgotten that before I spent the last year digging through it with each and every one of you. And I've also relearned in this last year, though, that faith is not just about thinking. Let me say that again. Faith is not just about thinking. We've also got to live it out. And so while studying the Bible closely is deeply rewarding and interesting, I'm also reminded that faith means so much more than just carefully looking at the scriptures. And so I want to talk about this reality for us a bit this morning. We will be looking at Matthew chapter 2, and I've titled this sermon, From Head to Heart. Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Send your living word to walk amongst us now, to challenge our assumptions, to set our hearts ablaze, and to make us whole again. Amen. Amen. Last week, in case you missed it, I told everyone from this pulpit that we needed to be surprised by God more often. I went as far as to say that we should ask and expect God to surprise us because we cannot assume that we know better than God. We need to have our assumptions challenged and our preconceived notions questioned. And I'm sure many of you heard me saying all of this and you thought to yourself, That sounds nice, Pastor, but I think I've had my fair share of surprises from God. Thank you very much. And I get it. I get it. That's entirely appropriate. Surprises are hard to handle. Big changes aren't always welcome. But more than anything, my point in challenging us to be surprised by God this year is for us to welcome the ways that God can do something new. In order to be people of faith, we simply must be prepared for God to work in unexpected ways. We can't allow ourselves to get too comfortable with just doing things the way we've always done it. Case in point, our story from the scriptures this morning about the three wise men. It serves to communicate to us just how unexpected the ways of God truly are. I know, I know, you're probably thinking that this little story isn't that unexpected. After all, everyone knows about the wise men who came from the East and brought gold and frankincense and myrrh to Jesus. All of our manger scenes have three kings with it, right? And you set them up right alongside the shepherds and the goats and the donkeys and everybody else, Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. 
What's so unexpected about this, Pastor? You see, the thing I think we miss by just assuming that the Magi should be there is the actual details of our story. All the ways that it is actually very unusual that the wise men decided to show up and that they actually got there to begin with. And so let's look at this carefully. You know me. Let's look at what's actually in the Bible. Open those Bibles up for me to Matthew chapter 2, and you're going to see what I'm talking about here. Matthew chapter 2. We're going to start right at verse 1. All right. Finding our place. And we read. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. Okay, stop there. In these three verses, we learn the following details. Point one, the wise men are from the east. In other words, they didn't live in Israel. Point two, they observed a star in the sky, meaning that they are astrologers. This is significant because there are actually a number of points in the Hebrew scriptures in our Old Testament where it condemns the practice of astrology. Point number three, these wise men went to Jerusalem to find Jesus. They went to, we read, Jerusalem, not Bethlehem where Jesus actually was. They went to Jerusalem. You see, because the star pointed the wise men to the country of Israel. And so the wise men assumed that this newborn king, that they observed the star rising in the sky, this newborn king obviously would be in the capital city of Jerusalem. They never thought that he'd be in some lowly town like Bethlehem. And so this also proves the point that these wise men aren't exactly as familiar with the whole Messiah, Jesus narrative as we might expect. Okay, let's keep reading. Verse 3, verse 3. When King Herod heard that the wise men were asking about the newborn king, he was frightened. And all Jerusalem with him, and calling together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people, Israel. Okay, stop there. Notice that King Herod understands that the birth of a newborn king would be bad news for him. But notice also that Herod is the one who puts all of this together. He puts together that the sign that the wise men have seen is related to the prophecies of the coming Messiah. One, See, the wise men just saw a star, and so they followed it. They didn't know that the star signified the Messiah. They didn't even know what the Messiah was because they weren't Jewish. They were astrologers from the East. They probably had their own religion. They had no idea about the prophecies of a Messiah being born in Bethlehem. I'm setting all of this up for us because I want us to understand this point about the wise men. We always assume that the wise men should be there in the manger scene. It's always the figures that are set up. I got a manger scene at home with three wise men standing next to the cow. But what the Bible is showing us clearly and plainly is that the wise men 
were outsiders. They had no business being in Israel. They had no connection to the Jewish Messiah. And yet, something about this baby boy born in Bethlehem spoke to their soul. Something about this Jesus dragged them halfway across the world so that they could see and honor this newborn king. You see, God is surprising us with this detail. First, it was the dirty, untrustworthy, lowly shepherds from the hills of Bethlehem who came to honor Jesus. And then, weirdly enough, it was the wise astrologers from the east who came from far away to honor Jesus. It's very clear, church. The message that we are to take from Jesus' birth is that it doesn't matter if you are rich or poor or smart or dumb or Jew or Greek, if you're a shepherd from Bethlehem or a wise man from another religion altogether, Jesus was sent for you. I think we should start adding all sorts of other random figures to our manger scenes so that we get this point across. Add the construction workers to the manger scene because Jesus came for them. And how about some politicians, too? Because Jesus came for them, too, as hard as that is to see. And how about some millennials, right? I'm a millennial. Let's put me in there. And some baby boomers for good measure as well. And how about some immigrants and some day traders and some convicts and some lawyers? Let's gather them all at the manger scene because Jesus came for them. Yeah. Jesus came for everyone, and that's good news. That's really good news for everyone. It's just that some people only think it's good news if they're the only one invited to the party. Some people, some people out there get all upset when I try and tell them that Jesus came for everyone on earth. Even the people who don't look like you, or the people who don't vote like you. Or the people who are gay, or the people who are poor, or the people who are homeless, or the people who aren't from America. For some people, they find these details so surprising that they can't wrap their mind around it. They can't believe that God would care for someone who's different than them. And you see, that's exactly what's happening with King Herod in this gospel passage. When Herod hears from the Magi about this newborn king, He doesn't receive that as good news. He feels threatened. Herod knows that the birth of the Messiah means all of his power, all of his comfort, all of his security, his safe little bubble that he's been living in, it's about to pop. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, history is the long and tragic story of the fact that privileged groups seldom give up their privilege voluntarily. And certainly, that's what we see with Herod. He will go to great lengths to try and ensure that the newborn King Jesus never comes for him and his power. And he'll fail. And while we might think at first that this type of stuff only happens to kings and dictators and insecure presidents, the truth is that Herod's reaction here in this text is actually something that I believe we can all resonate with. Because the uncomfortable truth is that when Jesus comes into the world or into our lives, he upsets our ability to control things. When Jesus is the king of your life, that means that you can't be king anymore. You can't just do whatever you want, whenever you want. When Jesus is the king of your life, you suddenly have this voice telling you to be more forgiving. 
to be more compassionate, to be more patient, more understanding, more loving. When Jesus is the king, you can't hold a grudge like you used to. You can't hoard all of your gifts and possessions like you used to. You can't shun the outsider or look down on another just because they're a little different. When Jesus is your king, lots has to change. And now, I've pointed this out already, but I want to draw your attention to this little detail from the scripture passage again. King Herod knew that Jesus was the Messiah. He understood this in his head, but the problem is that he didn't let that Jesus become king of his heart. I'm guessing that many of us here this morning know that Jesus is important, right? Otherwise, why would you be here? In some way, you understand mentally that Jesus is important. Maybe you're even ready to admit that Jesus is king. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. But we need to realize that coming to a conclusion like this in our minds is not the same as letting that truth live in our heart. You can't just conclude that Jesus is king and let that be that. Mm, Yes, I've logically deduced that Jesus is the king. No, it can't just live there. You have to let Jesus change your life. God became a human being named Jesus. God came into this world so that God could become a real part of our lives and our world. Not just an idea that we think about, but a real person, a person named Jesus, who we can know and love and follow. Our faith has to be about so much more than ideas that we think about. It's a way of life. I I learned recently that the most popular books in the religion section at Barnes & Noble, the most popular books are books about about Buddhism. It's true. More so than any other books that Barnes & Noble sells from the religion section are about Buddha and Buddhism and the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. Now, you might ask yourself, why why is that the case? Because people don't see Buddhism as a religion. They see it as a way of life. Buddhism is all about following the Four Noble Truths and staying on the Eightfold Path. And nowadays, that's really appealing to people who just want to make sense of their life and their way of being in the world. They're trying to figure out how to live. And we know this to be true because you know what other books are highly popular at Barnes & Noble? Self-help books. People buy those up by the dozens as well because everyone is looking for a way to improve, a way to do better, a way to change their life in positive ways. And what we need to realize and understand is that following Jesus actually provides that. We have done ourselves a disservice by making Christianity into just something we think about. It is a way of life, and we need to start talking about it in that way. In the beginning, the first Christians didn't call themselves Christians. They called themselves followers of the way. And they were a generous people. They cared for orphans and widows. They shared their possessions with one another. They healed the sick in their communities. They brought hope to people in desperate situations. They spoke out against injustice in their communities. They loved their neighbors as themselves. In short, they lived in the same way that Jesus lived. And that was the point. And so now I want to bring all of this back to our Bible reading from Matthew. Because those wise men, 
those outsiders from the East who are a part of another religion altogether, they're the ones who actually show us what it looks like when you let Jesus go from something you think about in your head to something that lives in your heart. The wise men were practitioners of a foreign religion when they saw a sign in the stars, and so they traveled a great distance to honor this special new child. Their intellect is what caused them to know that Jesus was special. But that knowledge didn't just stay in their heads. No, 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 it changed their lives. They set out on a great journey to find this special child, and then when they got there, they presented Jesus with immensely valuable gifts. The Magi show us that what we understand in our head can't stay there. The Magi show us just how important Jesus is in the way that they let that truth trickle down into their heart and then they responded by sharing their gifts. When you let Jesus into your heart, you won't cling to every last dime. You'll freely and generously share that with the church and with others. But that's not all. When Jesus gets into your heart, you'll find that every, every way you can to share your other gifts as well. Maybe you can sing. Maybe you can dance. Maybe you can fix things or organize groups or help with the church marketing. Or maybe you can teach. The truth is that when Jesus gets into your heart, you will feel a need to respond. A need to give back from the generosity that God has bestowed to you. A need to share what God has given to you with others. In 2019, here at Reformation, we're going to be focusing on spiritual growth. Focusing on how we can love God and love our neighbors more completely. How we can let Jesus into our hearts more fully. And we start the year off by learning from the Magi. An unlikely group to be sure, but a group who shows us that believing in Jesus may start in our heads, but then it moves to our hearts. And it compels us to journey great distances and above all to share what we've been given with others. Amen.